But if you were handed a program on your way in uh, that says Joyride on it, what that, what that is is we are continuing our series that we've been in for the last five or six weeks. It's called Joyride because we're going through the book of, we're taking a joyride through the book of Philippians. Philippians is one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. That's why we call it Philippians. The church in Philippi, Philippi is a city in Greece um, where Paul was the church planter, the, uh, the apostle who went there and started the church from scratch, and he was their first pastor. And the Apostle Paul, later on in life, in his life, he is in a Roman prison. He's been in prison for two years. He has um, another couple of years to go. He's awaiting execution um, for his faith by the Roman Emperor Nero, which he follows through on that uh, just a little after Paul writes uh, the New Testament. And um, we have, we've been going through, there's four chapters in Philippians. We're in week six. Uh, we spent two weeks in chapter one, three weeks in chapter two, and I'm going to cover all of chapter three today. So I'm tracking to be out of here at noon. I think I can get us done at right at noon if you guys will listen fast and write fast. Okay? Um, so we're going through, and the reason why I love Philippians, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible, it's, and the reason why we're calling it Joyride, like 17, 18, 19 times, but to, depending on which English translation you're using, the word joy, rejoice, and joy. Joy, rejoice, and enjoy is used 17, 18, or 19 times in this very little short book. And this book is really a thank you letter. He's writing to his, his church that he planted to encourage them um, and to thank them for some of the support that they have recently sent his way. And it's one of my favorite books because it's so practical. We're going to talk about, <clears throat> we're going to find five habits if you want more joy in your life, if you want more happiness in your life, I mean, who doesn't want more joy? Who doesn't want more happiness? Then these are the five habits as we as Christ followers have to build into our lives so that our joy will go up, so that our happiness will go up. And the cool thing is that these five habits that we're going to t talk about today, each of us, you don't have to have a degree, you don't have to have a Bible degree or go to Bible school, you don't have to be from the right side of the tracks, no matter who you are. You can implement these five habits into your life, and you can really do it in your quiet time, your 15, your 10 to 15 minutes a day that you already spend um, with the Lord. So I want you to write down the first of the habits that we need to develop for a joyful life. Every single day, I've got to relax in God's grace. Will you fill that in, relax in God's grace? Here's what I mean by that. Every day... We relax in God's grace. And what that means is every day, we don't try to earn God's approval. We don't try to earn His love. We don't try to earn His recognition. We, because we don't earn it. God is love, and God loves you unconditionally already. I like to say it this way. I like to say all the time, I say, God loves you just the way you are. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you enough to not want you to stay that way. <laughs> he loves you enough that he wants to put his Holy Spirit in you and develop the fruits of the Spirit as he makes you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, and you develop love and joy and peace and forgiveness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and all of those fruits of the Spirit. God loves you, though, unconditionally, just the way you are. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any more or any less. Let me explain to you the difference between religion and relationship. Religion is what we do for God. Religion is what we do for God. Relationship is what God has done for us. Jesus Christ did not come to give us religion. In fact, God isn't interested in religion. Some of you might feel that way. I'm not interested in being religious. Good, because God isn't interested in religion either. He's interested in you having a relationship with him. He's interested in having a relationship with us. The Bible talks about what God has done for us and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. All through the New Testament, God talks about what he has done for us to reconcile us with himself. It does not talk, the Bible does not talk about what we do for God or what we need to do for God. So Jesus says, look, I don't want your religion. Your Savior said that. He says, I don't want your religion. 
I want a relationship with you. And every time we will lose happiness, we will lose joy in our life, every time we forget this, every time we think, you know, I've got to earn God's love. Every time we think, you know, I've got to try harder so God will love me more. Well, I've got to be good or God won't love me. Every time we think that way, no, no, no. Not true. Paul writes it this way in verse 3 when he starts in Philippians chapter 3. He says, we, and he's talking about us Christians. He says, we Christians rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. He's saying we're not trying to earn our way to heaven. We're not trying to work our way to heaven. We're not trying to prove that we're good enough to get into heaven because none of us are good enough to get into heaven on our human effort, on our own. It's only by God's grace. So we need to relax in God's grace. I love the message paraphrase of this same verse. It says, we couldn't carry this off by our own effort, and we know it. One of the things that will rob us of joy, it's a trap to rob us of joy. In fact, I'm going to give you several traps that will keep us from developing the five habits necessary to have a joyful life. These traps are all around us. We all succumb to the traps. And when we do, our joy, our happiness goes down in life. And if we're going to increase our joy, increase our joyfulness and our happiness, we've got to recognize the traps We've got to not let those traps keep us from developing these habits. The first trap that will keep us and rob us from this relaxing in God's grace is the trap of legalism. Will you fill that in? Legalism is the attitude that I have to prove my love to God. I've got to prove to me and to everyone around me that I love God. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus more than you kind of a thing. Legalism is trusting in what I do for God instead of trusting in what Jesus has done for me. So I'm trusting in the rules that I keep, in the, in the rituals that I keep, in the regulations that I keep, in the restrictions that I keep, all these things that I keep, 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 keep to prove myself worthy, worthy, worthy. That's called legalism. Here's how Paul writes about it in verse 3b through 6. He says, we put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. By the way, how do you know when we are, how do we know when we are a legalist? Here's how. The telltale sound of legalism is when we are judgmental of other people. When we are harsh to other people. Anytime you see someone who's judgmental, who's critical. You know, some people think that criticism is a spiritual gift. It's not. I have the spiritual gift of criticism. That's not a gift. It might be a curse, but it certainly isn't a gift. So whenever we're judgmental of other people and we're critical of other people, here's the reason why. The reason why is because I don't feel loved and accepted by God just the way that I am. And in fact, since I don't feel good about myself, I don't want you feeling good about yourself. Since I don't feel like I measure up, I don't want you to feel like you measure up. So legalism leads us to be judgmental and to be critical of everybody else because I don't think that I'm accepted and I'm loved. How do you know you're living by grace? How do you know you're resting in God's grace? Well, we know because we become gracious to others. When somebody is living by grace, their attitude is, well, you know what? God's forgiven me, so I'm willing to forgive you. I'm going to forget. God's cut me some slack, so I'm going to cut you some slack. I'm getting by simply on the grace of God, so I'm going to give you the same kind of grace. The more legalistic and the more critical we are, the more judgmental we are. And the more we live by God's grace, the more gracious we are to other people. 
And let me just say it this way. Legalism will suck your life dry of all joy and happiness. Legalism sucks all the joy out of your life. And it sucks churches dry of all happiness and joy. Ever go to a legalistic church? That is not a happy crowd. There's no joy in a legalistic church because everybody's just there out of duty. Everybody's there out of guilt, out of shame, out of things like that. But when you finally realize, if you could ever come to the place where you could realize, you know what, there is nothing that I could do that would make God love me more than he already loves me. It's not give money. It's not serve. It's not go on a mission trip. It's not read my Bible. It's not pray. Nothing I can do will make God love me more than he already loves me. When you finally realize that, and when you finally realize there's nothing I can do that will make God love me any less, like whatever I did in spring break, whatever I did in my first marriage, whatever I did, you know, Saturday night even. You know, nothing that I've ever done will ever make God love me any less. That is, that guilt, that shame goes away. Nothing I ever can do can make him love me any more. That trying to achieve and trying to perform goes away. And I can rest in the grace of God. When you finally realize it's a liberating day. And this is the first key to happiness and joy and joyfulness in our life, to remind myself every day of God's grace. In verse 9, he writes and says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. I relax in God's grace. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So we wake up every morning and we say, Lord, I just want to remind myself, that I am resting in your grace. I just want to remind myself, God, that I am totally forgiven. If you can get up every day and in your quiet time remind yourself, I am totally forgiven for everything that I've ever done wrong, every thought that I've ever thought wrong, every word that I've ever said wrong, think of how much happier your day will be. That everything I've ever done wrong, Lord, I am completely forgiven. That's a great way to start your day. That habit of joyfulness. This is one of the habits that I relax in God's grace. The next verse, verse 7, is where we get the second habit of joyfulness or, or happiness or joy in our life. I've got to remember what matters most. I rest in God's grace, and then I remember what matters most. When I get up in the morning, I've got to remind myself about what counts and what doesn't count. What matters and what doesn't matter. And I, I can't be distracted by what's trivial and be distracted by what just doesn't matter, what's unimportant. And the truth is, most of our lives, we are distracted by things that just don't matter. They don't add up to enough to matter at all. Now, why is this such an important habit? It's because you lose your joy. Have you noticed how you, you can lose your joy in life so quickly over the littlest of things. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. You know, some, some, somebody takes your place in line. Somebody, you know, didn't make the coffee when they were done. Or didn't, I guess, what do you do now? You didn't fill up the, Ke the Keurig with the water. It's all, it's all empty. And, and the littlest thing, somebody didn't pick up after themselves for the umpteenth time, right? And it's the little irritations in life that cause us to lose our happiness. Yet, do those things really matter in the big scheme? No, they don't matter at all. So if we want to be a happy person, if we want to be a joyful person, if we want to have our joy increase in life, we need to remember what really matters in life and not worry about the stuff that just doesn't matter. In fact, we don't need to worry about the stuff that we thought was so important before we became a Christ follower. Here's how he writes it in verse 7. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. All the things I thought were so important before I became a Christ follower, all those things are, are worthless to me now. He says, all the things I used to live for now because of Jesus, and I, I, those are, I don't even count those anymore. Can you think back to what was the most important thing in your life before you became a follower of Jesus Christ, before you met Jesus? What was the most important thing for you? Was it work? Your career? Making money? Maybe the most important thing was getting a date, you know. 
Maybe it was being popular or having having security, you know. Ha, ha, make sure you have it. Maybe it was being, it could even be something big like being famous. Oh, I just, whatever it is, whatever it is, Paul says, all those things, they're just not important to me anymore. He's basically saying, look, I'm not running the rat race of life anymore. Because you know what happens when you run the rat race? Even if you win the race, you're still a rat. He's like, I'm not going to participate in the rat race. I'm getting off the hamster wheel. I don't need to worry about keeping up with the Joneses. Do you try to keep up with the Joneses? They're about to refinance. You know, They're going to file bankruptcy. You know. I'm so sorry if your last name's Jones. You, you, you have a terrible, you and, and if your name's Karen, I just want to apologize on behalf of everybody. Poor Karens. Karens have had it rough for the last couple of years. And man, if your name is Karen Jones, just so, so sorry. You know. So Paul says, all those things I used to think was so important, being cool, looking cool, acting cool, having, having the goods, having lots of stuff, it's just not important. Because none of that is going to matter in the long scheme of things. He says, stuff doesn't matter anymore to me. Here's the problem. When you first become a Christian, when you first start to follow Jesus, you realize that, man, Jesus is all that matters to me. But as time goes on, the world kind of brainwashes you into thinking, all those things are important again. In fact, for me, I'm 55 years old. I became a Christian when I was 9 or 10. So what's that, like 45 years later. So when, when I became a Christian and Jesus was, when I realized what I was getting, forgiveness for my sins and an eternal home in heaven, but for the, last, for the last 45 years, the world has been pulling me in a direction that says, no, 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 all that stuff that used to be important, that's, that's still important. Because here's the trap. I want you to write down the trap. The trap to this habit is pop culture. Popular culture is the trap that keeps us from remembering what's most important. Every day there are thousands of advertising messages that are sent out to you. Basically, those advertising messages... I mean, they get us anywhere we're at, Don't, you know, no matter where. In fact, if you're watching online, you're watching on a device, even though we're studying Philippians and we're, we're having a Bible study, notifications are coming across your phone right, right now or on your tablet right now. And it says, oh, there's a sale at Sam's. Oh, there's, you know, Amazon Prime Day, some extra. It's extended, you know. And, and then we are bombarded with, in fact, now you're getting these texts on your phone that there's a sale or on your watch if your phone's hooked up to your watch all day long. And what advertisers are telling us is, listen, your life isn't worth anything unless you have our product. You know, your life will be so much better if you'll just give us your credit card number and you'll sign up for, you know, this subscription or this monthly bill or this monthly thing. And they're telling us this should matter to you. So what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves the question, oh, yeah, how much is this going to matter to me 10 years from now? How much is this going to matter to me five years from now? How much is this even going to matter with what I'm worrying about today, what I'm wringing my hands over today? Is it even going to matter next week? And if it's not going to matter for tomorrow, it for sure won't matter for eternity. We as Christians that Paul is writing to, we need to learn to live in light of eternity for what really matters. Even though everything around us is trying to tell us constantly that the petty things and the trivial things, that they are important. As Americans especially, Americans are on a trivial pursuit. We're in a big game of trivial pursuit. We're all trying to get our little pieces of the pie, aren't we? And we're living for things that just don't matter. So we have to be counterculture, which means, by the way, if you are counterculture, you'll have a lot more happiness and a lot more joy because everything everyone is, all the trivial things that everyone is chasing, it doesn't lead to joy and happiness. It leads to unhappiness. 
it leads to less joy. It leads to more stress in life. We've got to learn to live, be counterculture, and focus not on what's current and not on what's trending and not on what's popular, but instead focus on what's eternal, what's going to last for a long time. So when you start asking yourself the question, you know, why am I worrying about this or why am I stressed out? By the way, Pastor Rich is going to be teaching next week on one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. Probably one of the 15 greatest chapters in the Bible is Philippians chapter 4. He gets to talk to you about, you know, don't worry about anything, pray about everything, and all things give thanks, and the peace that passes understanding will come into your, into your heart and into your life. If you've ever been stressed out, you should be here next week. If you have any stress at all in your life, you should be here next week. When you start asking yourself, why am I anxious? Why am I worrying? Why am I stressed out? Why am I so uptight about this? Most of the things that are uptight, getting you so uptight and, 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 and worrying and amped up, they're not going to matter a year from now, five years from now. Certainly not for all of eternity. So this is the second habit. Every day remember what matters the most and realize that all the things I used to think were important, yep, they're worthless now. Here's what Paul says in verse 8 and 9. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's the most important thing. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. You know, the great missionary, famous missionary, Jim Elliott, is famous for saying this quote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. Paul is saying, I'm giving up a lot of things. I'm giving up things here that other people think really matter and are really important right now. But they don't mean anything to me, Paul says. Because I'm gaining eternal life and I'm gaining eternal rewards in heaven that I can never lose. So that's the second habit. That I can remember what matters most. I, I relax in God's grace. I remember what matters most. And then the third habit that you can do every day and work on every day is I've got to get to know Jesus better. I've got to get to know Jesus better. We should start every morning, in fact, before your feet even hit the ground, you just look up to God and say, God, say, Lord, no matter what I get done today, no matter what happens on my to-do list, today I want to get to know you a little bit better and love you a little bit more. No matter what else I accomplish today, if I don't get to love you a little bit better, learn to love you a little bit better and know you a little bit more, then I haven't had a successful day. We were made... We were created to live in a relationship with God. We should start every day off focusing on that. And, and here's the thing. If you were created for a purpose, and one of those purposes is to know God and to love God with all your heart, how in the world do you think you'll have a lot, uh, that we'll have a, a life of happiness and joy if we miss the main reason why we're, we were created? We're just fooling ourselves if we think, well, I'm going to have peace and happiness and joy if we miss out on this primary purpose. This is where joy is found in our lives. It's found in the number one thing that we were created for, to know God a little bit better and learn to love him with all our heart. Verse 10 and 11, Paul writes in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or the other I will experience the resurrection of the dead. So here's the thing about knowing Christ. We've got to understand the difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. You know, that, that, that's not the same. You can know about someone. You know a lot about someone that you never even met. You don't know the person. Knowing about someone. For instance... I know a lot about Dan Marino. Shocking, I'm sure, to all of you. But I know a lot about the greatest quarterback that ever lived, Dan Marino. Okay? I know a lot about Don Shula. In fact, I've met Don Shula. Nancy and I went to dinner with the coach and his wife almost exactly 21 years ago, July 19, 2001. You should write that date down. 
we spent 25 minutes, just the four of us, talking and had dinner with several people along with him when he opened up Shula's at Disney uh, the summer of 2001. I remember that date so well because it was right before 9-11. So 21 years and five days ago, I had dinner with Coach Shula. Now look, we only got to spend 25 minutes with them. I, so I know about Don Shula. I know about Dameron, but I don't know them. But I know my wife, Nancy. I know my son, Joshua. I know my daughter, Kristen. Why do I know my kids and my wife, but I only know about a quarterback and a coach? Well, it's because I don't spend 25 minutes with my kids in their lifetime or my wife. I spent 25 minutes a day with the kids when they were growing up. I spent 25 minutes almost daily with my wife. That's how you know someone. You know them by spending time with them. You spell love, T-I-M-E. That's how we know someone. And Paul says, I know Christ because I spend time with him. And I have a relationship with him. Amplified version of this verse, one of my favorite. By the way, Amplified, for any of you who don't understand the Bible, get the Amplified Bible, and it like over-explains everything, okay? Some of you, it's like way too much. Others of you are like, oh, finally. Look what this says. It says, for my determined purpose, circle determined purpose. That's a great phrase. For my determined purpose is that I may know Christ that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more strongly and more clearly. That phrase, determined purpose, the truth of the matter is we don't get to know Jesus Christ by accident. We don't just wake up one morning and suddenly fall and go, oh man, I really love, I, I know Jesus so much more today. It has to be a determined purpose. It has to be something that we have to work at, that we have to do something about. We have to invest our time. Our relationship with God is not going to grow. Our relationship with Jesus is not going to grow unless we invest time with him. It's just like any other relationship. I guarantee you when you meet someone and you say, oh my goodness, he is so close to God. He knows Jesus so well. It's because they've spent so much time reading his word, praying to him, listening for his word in their life. It's true in everything that we do, every relationship, that it has to be a determined process, a purpose. When we're talking about spending time with someone else, the trap is obvious. What's the trap that keeps you that keeps, that keeps you from being in a close relationship with someone. It's the same trap with the relationship with God. The trap is busyness. Will you fill that in? We just get too busy, don't we? And I know some of you are busy, 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 busy. So bu busyness destroys relationships. It, busyness will destroy your relationship with your husband. It'll destroy your relationship with your wife. It'll destroy your relationship with your kids. It destroys your relationship with God when you're too busy to spend any time with him. To get to know Jesus, we have to make time, and then we have to spend time with him. And it doesn't take a lot of time. And let me just tell you, any of us, all of us can do this. We all have the same amount of time. We don't all have the same amount of education. We don't all have the same amount of money. We don't all have the, come from the same side of the tracks. We don't all come from the same socioeconomic status of life. But we all have the same number of minutes and hours in a day. And we can all make 10 or 15 minutes and then take and invest those in a relationship with God. And you can do all of these habits in a 15-minute in a time timetable with God every day. In fact, it's true in any relationship. 10 or 15 minutes, just a short amount of focused attention will benefit every relationship that you're in or any relationship. It make all the difference in the world. So I'm not talking about hours and hours and hours. Don't think, well, well, you know, he's a pastor, so he probably spent three or four hours alone with God every day. You obviously don't know me. No, I'm just talking about a few minutes 
10 or 15 minutes. And it doesn't have to be in the morning, by the way. I know some of you, you don't even believe in God before coffee. I get it. You wake up, you know, you're, you're, you're grumpy until, you know, you, you, you get a couple of cups in and then at least you're human again. You know, someone said to the guy, I said, did you wake up grouchy in the morning? He said, no, I let her sleep in. The men, the men should not be laughing. The men should not be laughing, okay? You don't point at anybody. Are you crazy? That's for my marriage series. I'll, bring, I'll, I'll save that for later. So it doesn't have to be first thing in the morning. Some of you are like, man, I can't have a quiet time. I've got to do it in the morning. You know, I heard someone say, if you don't spend time with God before you spend time with man, then you'll never be a good Christian. You can be a good Christian. It's not when you spend those. In fact, you know when you should spend your 15 minutes with God every day? When are you at your best? What is the best 15 minutes of your day? When you're the most alert, you're the most with it, you're the, those should be the 15 minutes that you give him. The best of your day. Maybe it's mid-morning. Maybe it's lunchtime. Maybe it's in the, in the afternoon. Maybe it's right before bed. It doesn't matter when you spend the time. It just matters that you create the time and invest the time with him. But in that time, there's something you have to do. And the first thing you have to do is you have to not be busy. So you've got to, you've got to break some time. I, I, on my phone, Pastor Rich taught me how to do this. I have this do not disturb button on my phone. So I can hit that. And one of my do not disturbs is God. And you hit God. And when God's on, nobody can text me. Nobody can tell me there's a blue light special. Nobody can say, will you vote for me? I mean, can't we get that all the time? Don't disturb me for that. Nobody can get me when I'm with when I'm with my 15 minutes with God because I have a do not disturb on my I block everything else out. So what you've got to do this is this is a tough verse for some of us. Look what we got to do what Psalm 46:10 says. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Now, for some of you, those, are, those words petrify you. Those words are terrifying to you. Because you're busy, 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 busy all the time. And the idea that I could be still freaks me out. But here's what happens when we're still. The second half of the verse. When we are still, then we know that he is God. No one ever fell into this on their own. If we want to get to know God better then we have to make time and spend time with him. Now, there's a fourth habit that we need to develop. And we can do this one also, same time frame, within our quiet time. The fourth thing we do is I have to review where I need to grow. Every day, we take a little time and do a personal life review. A little review of our life. We take a couple minutes out of every day during our quiet time. That's not going to cost you more than the 10 or 15 minutes. You're going to take two of the minutes of those 10 or 15 minutes with God and do a spiritual daily checkup, a spiritual daily read your pulse, your spiritual pulse, a spiritual blood pressure test every day. And during your quiet time, during those 10 or 15 minutes, when you've said to God, hey, I want to, lo I want to know you. I'm going to rest in your grace. I've forgiven. I want to know you a little bit better today. Then you're also going to say to him, Lord, where do I need to grow? What area of my life am I weak in? Where do I, what do I need to work on? What do I need to do to get stronger? Some people feel like God never answers their prayers. I, take, I believe it's because you're praying the wrong things. If you'll ask God, God, where do I need to improve? Oh, he'll answer that prayer. In fact, one of the good verses that you could memorize and even pray back to him, it would take 15 or 20 seconds of those two minutes I'm asking you to, to, to spend on this, is this Psalm 139, 23 and 24, where David writes, and we should make this our prayer, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me on the path of everlasting life. That's a great verse. Tell me, God, what do I need to do and work on today to keep growing? Now, this takes humility. But this is a habit. Remember we talked about humility a couple weeks ago? This takes humility, but this is a... This is a oh, Siri's chiming in. Sorry. I, I turned off my 
God, don't disturb me. God's here. Humility and joyfulness go hand in hand together. That's why we need to do this daily checkup. That's why we need to ask God, God, ask him this. God, do I need to work on my anger? Just the fact that you bring that up probably answers yes. Okay. God, do I need to work on my patience? Obviously might be the answer you get from God. God, do I need to work on getting rid of jealousy? God might say, well, are you jealous? Yeah. Well, then you need to work on getting rid of your jealousy. God, do I need to work on watching my words? And God's going to be like, yes, because we don't have any heavenly soap that we can wash your mouth out with. Wish we did, but we've got to change your heart. God, do I, I need to work on being more relaxed in your grace. Listen, if you'll ask God these kind of questions, he will help you work on these kind of areas. Paul puts it this way in verse 12 and 13. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or I have already reached perfection. Of course he hasn't. Nobody's reached perfection. He says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Now, when I read these verses, and I know who wrote them, it's one of the most amazing verses in the Bible because... Of the guy who wrote, I mean, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, Paul. He's an we know he's an elderly man at this point. He's he's older. He's in prison in Rome. He's waiting for the end of his life. Incredibly mature person. Last week we said that he's the greatest Christian of all time. He's the goat, greatest of all time. Yet he says, "But I haven't even arrived." Now, if anybody had the right to say, "Hey, I have arrived," it's the Apostle Paul. But he, I mean, he wrote half the New Testament. But Paul says, no, I haven't arrived yet. I'm up in years. I'm mature, but I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still becoming more and more like Christ. I'm not just sitting on my blessed assurance waiting for my, for my life to end. He says, I'm humble and I'm still growing. So what's the trap that keeps you from developing this habit? The trap is pride. Will you fill that in? Pride will keep us from growing. Because when we pretend we have it all together, then we don't have it all together. And by the way, everybody already knows we don't have it all together. God knows we don't have it all together. God knows I don't have it all together. My family knows I don't have it all together. All the stories they could tell. It's... Only us. We're the only ones that won't admit we don't have it all together. And it's humbling to admit I don't have it all together. My life is a mess. There's some things that I do or think or say that I don't want anybody to know about God because they'll know I don't have it all together. They already know you don't have it all together. This is the same for me. I know some of you, you grew up in religious systems where the pastor was revered and he was on a pedestal and, oh, he's so godly. He just walks with God in the cool of the garden and all of these phrases. And I went to dinner one time with this guy who said, I just, want, I just, want to meet, I just wanted to meet you, Pastor, because I wanted to meet the man behind the cloth. And I thought, I feel kind of creepy about that. You know, is that like, you know, the guy behind the curtain over on, you know, I like, I don't feel like eating my salmon at this point. You know, meet the man behind the cloth. You know, look, I'm just like you. I'm as regular of a guy as you are. I struggle. Listen, I've had some things going on in my life the last few weeks where I have had some thoughts. I've had some anger, things that have made me angry, some things that I have anger. Listen, if you knew... I have, if you knew what was going through my mind over the last couple of weeks, several times, it's stuff good enough to get fired from any other church. You know, I'm disqualified from being a pastor. Pat, you can't think that you're a pastor. You know, kind of a thing. It's humbling to realize I don't have it all together. You don't have it all together. God knows we don't have it all together. We know each other don't have it. It's time for us to admit. Yep, I don't have it all together. Don't let pride get in the way. And keep you from growing. Because we're not fooling anybody. Anyway. 
If you thought I had it all together, I'm so sorry, you must be brand new. Here's the thing. Joyful people never stop growing. Joyful people never stop learning. Joyful people never stop stretching and discovering. They never, because when we stop growing, when we stop learning, we become miserable. You know why? It's because we're made to grow. God made us, loves us, but He wants us to grow to become like His Son, Jesus. He puts His Spirit in us to grow the fruits of the Spirit, to cultivate those things in our life. And we are all made to be better next year than we are right now, this year. And, and, if we're, and if we're coasting spiritually through life, let me tell you something about coasting. The only time you can coast is when you're going downhill. Down, down, doobie-doo, down, down, down. So stop coasting and start climbing again. If you want joy, if you want joyfulness, you've got to, in humility, say, you know, I'm teachable. God, where do I need to learn? How can I be a better husband next year than I am this year? How can I be a better wife next year than I am this year? How can I be a better dad next year? How can I be a better boss next year? How can I be a better employer next year? How can I be a better employee next year? How can I be a better friend to my friends next year than I am this year? And you do that by a daily habit, a two-minute of your 10 to 15 minutes, and say, God, what do I need to work on today? Oh, today we're going to work on anger, apparently. Because i got all these people making me angry. Right? So when God says, hey, we're going to work on anger today, you just expect they're all going to drive slower, they're not going to turn left, they're just going to sit through the whole light on their phone, and, and you're going to be tempted to be angry all day, like I am. All right, here's, I relax in God's grace. I remember what matters most. I get to know Jesus better and better all, every day. I ask, where do I need to keep growing? And the secret to growth is to be honest about ourselves and to keep evaluating where we are. Look at this verse from over in Corinthians. This is another letter to the church in Corinth that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13.5. This is the message paraphrase. I love this. It says, test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. What's the evidence that Jesus is at work in your life? Henry Blackaby, who wrote the great Bible study experience, and God is a very gentle, gentle soul. If you're naming all the animals... Dr. Blackaby's like the manatee. He is gentle. And he used to say that when he would have someone in his church and he wasn't sure whether they were a Christian, even though they said they were a Christian, he said, I would pull up alongside of them and I would say, hey, explain to me, share with me any evidence that you're born again. Because I don't see any evidence in your life that you're a Christ follower. And you have to say that real gently to get rid you know, I'm not gentle. When I say that, I got a duck. Because if I say, hey, share with me any evidence that you're born again, because I don't see any evidence that you follow Jesus. They swing at me. <laughs> I haven't figured out how to do that. But he's saying this. If there's no evidence in your own life, firsthand evidence, that Jesus Christ is in you, he's saying, you've you got to test this out. And if you fail, do something about it. All right, I've got to give you this last one as we close. Number five. And I wanted to make sure I get to this because it's so important. The fifth habit, I've got to forget what can't be changed and focus on the future. This is a habit of joyfulness every day. Forget what can't be changed in the past and focus in faith on the future. Your past is in the past. It's over. It's like that great theologian Pumbaa from Lion King said. Put your behind in the past or is that your past behind you? Forget what you can't change. Forget about your past. Because let's just be honest. All of us have been hurt in the past. You have been hurt in the past. Some of you carry deep wounds 
vicious scars from people who have emotionally abused you or physically abused you or sexually abused you or financially. You've experienced financial abuse. You've been hurt a lot. And as, a, as your pastor who prays for you, who loves you, I just want to say I'm sorry that you have been hurt those ways. I'm sorry about that. But joyfulness requires letting go of your past. Happiness requires letting go of the hurt. You can hold on to your pain. Nobody's going to force you to unclutch your hands. You can hold on to your pain or hold on to that member, or you can be joyful. You can't be both. You can't hold on your pain and increase your joy. You have to let it go. So why don't you choose to do that today? I'm going to stop letting the pain of my past mess up my present and and damage my future. Verse 13 and 14, he says, I focus on this one thing. This is Paul saying this. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. We only have a certain amount of energy. You don't have en- you don't have unlimited energy. We're human beings. We have finite energy. This is why we get tired. This is why we get fatigued. This is why, you know, VBS wipes us out. We all have a hangover. People always say, where do these kids get all their energy? I always say, they suck it away from us. That's how they get it. You know, they suck the life right out of us. Because we have a very limited supply of energy, my suggestion is we don't use any of this emotional energy on our past because we can't change our past anyway. Would we like to change our past? Yes. Can we? No. Not without a time machine. So let's instead forget about the past, like Paul says, and let's focus all our emotional energy on the present so that we can face the future with faith because the present is all we've got. Two quick traps. Write them down. First trap is regret. We've got to let go of the regrets. All the things that I wish I had done differently. Are there things in my life that I wish I had done differently? Absolutely. But I can't dwell on them. I've got to let go of them. Great book for you, Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley wrote a book recently in the last year called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets by Stanley. Read it. Awesome book. Second trap. In fact, this is such a big one, I'm giving you two traps. Regret and then resentment. Regret are all the things that I've done that I wish hadn't done. Resentment is all the things that people have done to me that I wish that hadn't been done. Holding on to resentment is dumb. Holding on to unforgiveness is dumb. We've got to let go of resentment, let go of unforgiveness. And for our own sake, we must forgive others. Do they deserve it? No. But do you deserve forgiveness from God? Also, no. Those who experience grace are gracious. So we let them off the hook because God has let us off the hook. And we don't want to hold on to the pain. Having joy is a choice. Having happiness is a choice. And in many ways, it's a matter of the habits that we choose to develop during those 15 minutes a day. These five habits of Philippians 3 are all things all of us can do every day, daily, in a quiet time. And I challenge you to make the commitment to do those right now. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And why don't we, with our heads bowed, just like the kids, with your mouth closed, eyes closed, fold your hands if you want. Why don't you just pray to God in your own mind? You don't have to say it out loud and just say, Dear God, I want to learn to relax in your grace every day. To not try to earn your approval, but to realize that you already love me. And you'll never love me any less than you do right now or any more than you do already. And then pray this, say, and then, Lord, help me to focus every day on what matters most. Help me to focus on the eternal and what's going to last for eternity, not what's trending or in style. And then say, dear God, I want to make getting to know Jesus better the number one goal of my life. Every day I want to know you a little bit better. And I want to love you a little bit more. I want to spend time with you every day. And read your word and pray and listen in conversation with you. And then, dear God, I want to have a spiritual checkup every day. Help me to do that 
to ask you the question, where do I need to grow? And help me to forget my past. All the things that I can't change anyway. Help me to let it go. Help me to focus in faith on the future that you have in store for me. If you've never opened your life up to Christ, then you can do that today just like the kids. All you have to do is ABC, admit that you need Jesus as a Savior, that you need forgiveness of your sins. Believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the punishment for those sins. And see, choose or confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. If you've never opened your life up to Christ, you just say to him, Jesus Christ, come into my life right now. I admit I need a Savior and I need forgiveness. And I want to get to know you. I want to learn to love you and to trust you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and I choose to follow you. I want a relationship with you. I don't want religion. I want a relationship with you. And if you prayed that prayer, God heard your prayer. And if you meant it, then you just stepped across the line of faith. If you want to be baptized this afternoon, you can be baptized and, and make your public profession of faith. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that it's so practical, it's so relevant, it leads us to the life of joy that you want us to live. When we focus on what's eternal and not what's current, I pray a blessing on our our church family, and on every single family who came to Vacation Bible School this week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's Mel. Wow. I know those five daily habits are something I need to keep working on myself. We'll be praying that you can keep them in mind this week, too. Don't forget to join us this afternoon after 5 o'clock for a VBS party. The kids will have a great time on the water slides and bounce houses while we hang out and enjoy an old-fashioned chicken dinner. See ya.